Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. again. So I'm reading in today's New York Times magazine, which is focused on health and life expectancy. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but a couple of articles um, caught my attention. This one, black lives are shorter in Chicago. My family's history shows why. How did a promised land to generations of black families become a community of lost lives? It's an excellent, excellent sort of personal retrospective um driving around with you know your aged mama to all the places that she remembers from the days when she lived in uh, in a particular place as a child or as a young adult how those places have changed i have made that journey with my mama um around communities in in southern ohio and indiana um i would encourage you to take that kind of road trip it's um it's really really good this this reflection by this particular daughter uh, of her experience with her mom um, might be summarized in uh, in terms of of their recognition of what uh, what is happening in the part of Chicago where they lived. She says, "Look, it, it's Chicago, not the rural South, that has the country's widest racial gap in terms of life expectancy. In the Streeterville neighborhood, nine miles north, which is seventy three percent white." Residents live on average to 90 years old. In Inglewood, where nearly 95% of residents are black, people live to an average of only 60. It's an article about life expectancy. It's also an article about racialization in terms of neighborhoods, redlining in Chicago's history, um, the creating of ghettos through welfare. It is an interesting, interesting article, and I would commend it to you. There's another article about life expectancy as well in the New York Times Magazine. It couldn't be further in terms of perspective from uh, the piece that I just referred to. And this one is How Humanity Gave Itself an Extra Life. Between 1920 and 2020, the average human lifespan doubled. So if you go back to the pandemic of, uh, of 1918 and you talk about life expectancy, in, in India, life expectancy was, a, was in, in the, in the mid-30s. Now it's more than 70. Um, if you go back to that same period of time and you look at England, the life expectancy was about 41 years of age. Now it's over 80. So I want you to just think about that for a moment. In a world with three times the population, we are not experiencing the rate of death nor the decrease in life expectancy from COVID-19 as was experienced around the world 100 years ago as a result of the Spanish flu. Well, why is that? Well, those are some good questions to be considering and asking about, about all of the other improvements that have been made over the span of the last 100 years. Um, we are not, in fact, worse off than uh, than people were 100 years ago. We are better off in in virtually every single way. So these are good articles to get us thinking and talking about life expectancy and the reality that our days are numbered. It's a good opportunity to talk about life expectancy. It's also a good opportunity to talk about death expectancy, right? People talk about life expectancy. Um, do we talk about death expectancy? 
there is more to a conversation about life expectancy than the number of our days. There is the living of those days and there is the expectancy of um, a life to be lived beyond death. Life expectancy is about much more than numbers. For Christians, life expectancy is about how God expects us to live um, and and how we expect to live beyond death. Like, we have a full anticipation. We have a death expectancy, and we have a life expectancy beyond death. Like, that is a really different conversation to be having with our neighbors in terms of life expectancy today. I, for one, expect to live forever. My life expectancy is forever, for all eternity, as a redeemed child of the king, a citizen heir of the kingdom of heaven. I expect to know God fully, even as I am fully known. I expect my life here and now to be both a preparation personally and a demonstration to others of what it looks like to be in a living relationship with God right now. So what do you expect in terms of life? What's your life expectancy? And what does God expect of you? Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Is that what you expect from life? Are you expecting always the unexpected, anticipating miracles, knowing that with God all things are possible? I am. What's your expectation of life? What's your life expectancy? And what's your death expectancy? Those are good conversations to have with ourselves and others today. Next up, Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We are going to talk about some health headlines. We'll be right back. Oh, I was going to say continuing my conversation. It is a continuing conversation because we have it from time to time, but it is a, uh, it is welcome him to back today. Dr. Brett Nix, thank you for joining us again on Mornings with Carmen. Absolutely. Good morning, Carmen. Great to be here. Good How morning. are you this morning? I am, I am well. I am well. Thank you so much. Great. Um, so um, you and I both read this headline about uh, the relationship between COVID and opioid addiction. This was not something that um, that I had read prior, um, you know, prior to thinking about it with you. The pandemic has blocked access to treatment for many Americans who are hooked on opioids. What is going on here? Yeah, boy, I tell you, I mean, the pandemic has, has hidden a lot of things from uh what we see on a day-to-day basis, unless you're in the emergency department where I work. Uh, we see opioid uh, issues related to overdoses. We see people who are just caught up in this issue as far as addiction is concerned. And, you know, if we take a step back, there's some data that you're referring to that came out uh, from October 2019 through September 2020. So the early stages, three months before the pandemic started to ramp its way through uh, in through September 2020, more than 87,000 Americans died of overdoses from opioids. Um, and that's the highest period since we've been tracking since the early 1990s. And again, like you said before, hey, part of it is the limited access to treatment, but I really think it's multifactorial. And what I mean by that is it's limited access for medications for those who have opioid addictions, so they couldn't get their refills, although most were able to, but those that were seeking out treatment couldn't get in because of issues with social isolation, issues related to COVID-related issues, work, finances, housing insecurity. The list goes on and on. You can imagine 
Now you have someone who has an addiction who cannot get in to get help because most of the clinics had to cut back hours and or cut back availability for slots for individuals. And then unfortunately, those who have these issues for uh, their dependency then subsequently have uh, an overdose and, and subsequently die. And part of the challenge with this is that newer drugs that are coming out uh, that are being sold across the streets and everything's like that really have a challenge in that they're laced with fentanyl, which is an incredibly strong narcotic. And of course, respiratory depression is really the killer here. I just, um, you know, I think when you refer to the things that you see in uh, in the emergency department, I guess I'm wondering, are you seeing other things that we are not seeing? You know, the things that have, um, we've lost our focus on many things because we have been so hyper-focused on this one thing. Yeah, I tell you, we see it every day. We see people coming in every single day. And part of it is is just the loss of hope. Uh, people coming in, uh, they're afraid. They've been afraid for a while. They've had issues. Uh, you know, we, we talked about the story about how much weight people gained during the COVID window. Add to that somebody who already had diabetes and hypertension and now has been at home having symptoms of a stuttering, you know, stroke that's about ready to come. And then they have the large one, but they didn't seek help because they were afraid to come in and, and the fear associated with that. Uh, you know, there's that have had some chest discomfort, have known that they've had heart disease and have, uh, you know, visited their doctor, maybe virtually if they had the capacity, but still have not sought out uh, the desire to go to the hospital. And many times it's a fear that at the hospital is where the greatest COVID cases will be and they'll be exposed, you know, when in mm. reality, so many safeguards are in place for the pa- for the patients that come in. And then, you know, we're talking about dependency, the patients who have dependency and just the downstream things as their body is just being destroyed from a level of uh, addiction and the challenges that come with that, not just in the social paradigm, but in the physical one where their heart valves are being destroyed. They're having injury and infection throughout their lungs uh, and their bodies will not return to normal. Uh, These are the things that we see uh, that just break my heart when we see it. Uh, We see the challenges with young kids that have been at home for such a long duration of time and may may not be in the safest environment there. Uh, And you can imagine the social challenges that are faced with that uh, that subsequently present themselves as physical manifestations over time. You know, these are the real things that happen uh, and the things that we've been seeing over the last year. All right. I have so many conversations that I want to have with you, but I'll stick to um, stick to what we've agreed to talk about. (laughs) Um, Talk with us um, when we're talking about opioids. There is some hope on the horizon of an opioid vaccine. That sounds like a game changer. Yeah. Can you imagine that? No, ongoing research right now. I know. Can you imagine that every uh, six months you would have a vaccine? that focuses strictly on opioid addiction. Now, this is still in the early research phases, but the focus here is to say, hey, we know that when people are taking narcotics, it crosses the blood-brain barrier and goes in and affects the area of your brain that controls how you breathe. And most people that die of overdoses die because they stop breathing. They become hypoxic and they die. And this vaccine will actually create antibodies that target these opioids, these narcotics, to prevent them from reaching that aspect of the brain and in doing so, reduces the likelihood of that respiratory depression and respiratory failure. So, I mean, it is, it is a phenomenal leap forward as far as the, the process. Again, it doesn't address the issue, but it, at least it addresses the respiratory depression that causes death. All right, Dr. Brett Nix and I are going to return to this conversation in just a moment. We're going to talk about some health news in terms of, like, healthy lifestyle news. We're going to talk about foods to avoid for a healthier middle age. 
Um, let me tell you that one thing on the list uh, is going to be really, really hard for me. Um, and then we're also going to talk about air quality. Yep, what we breathe and what we eat. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Brett Nix. You can find him uh, online. He has a dedicated website where he writes great stuff. Brett, that's one T, brettnixmd.com. You can also find him on Twitter at Dr. Brett Nix. Again, Brett with one T. All right. Um, talk with us about new research that um, I intend to find a way to disprove um, related to chocolate. I'm not too concerned about butter or soda, but uh, foods I'm supposed to avoid for a healthier middle age. So, yes, this study is quite interesting. It comes out of Oxford, so out of the UK, and it, it tells you what you already know to be true. Too much sugar, mm-hmm. too much saturated fat is never a good thing. Now, the study kind of breaks it down a little bit and puts different piles of things together. So it talks about foods that are heavy or probably diets that are heavy in pastries, chocolate, butter, table sugar and soda. Uh, obviously, <laughs> glump those together. That's going to be bad. And they say, well, most people who have that don't eat enough fresh fruits and vegetables. And so let's break this down a little bit, because what we hear many times people say is, well, what about chocolate? We hear there's some good stuff to it. Maybe that there's it's maybe it's not uh, so great if you have too much. Is it white chocolate? Is it milk chocolate? Is it dark white, chocolate? White chocolate. White chocolate is not chocolate. It is Let's not be... chocolate, and that's exactly right. And and even milk chocolate isn't really chocolate. No. So when you break this down, I think the study tells you what you expect to know. Number one, processed foods and too much of them is never going to be good for you. And they talk about this from a candy perspective, which is just processed white sugar in some mm. flavored form. Uh, processed white bread. And if you look at this, they talk about the pastries specific to this and recognize this is a, a UK-based population. And so very different maybe perhaps of what we would eat on a routine basis. But when you have excessive fat in butters and things like that in excess, not in a normal amount, but in excess, and candy and white processed bread, and they put chocolate in that category. And again, maybe not the chocolate that you and I are talking about, 40% higher risk of heart death over a average population eating in a, a quote-unquote normal diet and 30% risk of earlier death. Well, why do we know that to be true? Well, because in that population, it's weight gain. And weight gain is oftentimes associated with diabetes and high blood pressure and a unhealthy level of activity. And so you can see where this study actually is a what I call a common sense study. It tells you what you know. But can you indulge? Certainly. But you have to incorporate a healthy life and a healthy diet and a lifestyle that affords the opportunity for you to say, hey, you know what? I enjoy dark chocolate and I'm going to have it on occasion. Or I love to cook with butter. And so maybe you say on certain days I'm going to use butter. Other days there are ways to do healthy things by maybe infusing a little bit of uh, different things like uh, a Greek yogurt to go ahead and have the creaminess but cut down on the fat content. And some people will thin it with applesauce. There's different ways to be healthy in this space. But recognize what they're telling you is something that you and I know to be true. High saturated fat, too much sugar on a routine basis is just not good for your body. Yeah, not surprised by that. So thank you so much. All right. How about the air we breathe? Um, I I will uh, confess to you, I would have guessed if you had asked me, is the air quality better this year than it was last year? I would have said, yeah, I feel like air quality has improved. Um, I might have been wrong. Well, I think a lot of it depends on where you live, right? I mean, I tell you what, I live in North Carolina, and the month of April, because we've had such a wet winter, 
the spring flowers, everything is blooming amazingly. But because of that, the pollen levels have been through the roof. And when you have that, you add in the typical issues with, you know, base level pollutants and things like that. And the spring pollens, when they're in full force, like they are around much of the country right now, that can impact your air quality. But what the studies have been showing is, hey, what about the baseline quality of where you live? And I don't think that there's any particular surprises here. They break it down in two different areas. One is these short-term particles that we see from things like wildfires that we've had, just robust wildfires uh, in, over the last year, or areas where you have a lot of wood-burning stoves that they use in the wintertime. And so you know, some of the outliers there, Fairbanks, Alaska, really because of the wood-burning fire issues, but many cities in California because of the wildfires, places like Fresno and Bakersfield and San Jose topped out the list. But they spun it a little bit, and they said, hey, but the year-round issues, uh, many of the same cities, Bakersfield, Fresno, uh, Visalia, and then outside of L.A. and Long Beach, have a blended issue. And those are the pollutants that are sometimes related to several things. And I think this is the piece that we always get caught up and we forget. It's multifactorial. Yes, those areas are robust with wildfires. But recognize these are areas of great population growth. And when you have that and you're building facilities and you're building homes and communities and things like that, you're eliminating the natural environment that God created. You're taking away the trees. You're taking away the things that help to wash the air. And deforestation, the loss of green space uh, with these ongoing issues, actually triggers a lot of the climate patterns that we're seeing. And yes, we have seen trends in the global warming phase of things. But at the same time, if you look around the world, we recognize that we have expanding deserts. And when you have those, you lose the ability of those areas to recapture moisture, to go ahead and go through the process of creating microclimates that then can cause rain. And we've been seeing it for decade on decade. Uh, but again, all these things build in, even the concepts of ozone that we've talked about historically, especially over LA, where we had such a bad process there. Uh, the area of ozone exposures, these multifactorial issues, and again, wildfires, wood-burning stoves, you take all of these things in play, and the air quality can be highly variable depending on where you live. Plant a tree. Can I can I advocate tree planting? Um, Absolutely. Uh, so my so my husband is an arborist. I mean, among other things, and uh, apparently the U.S. Forestry Service sent him an email saying, "Hey." We have lots of seedlings. You should plant some. And so in his enthusiasm, my husband ordered 500 seedlings, which we have been dutifully planting now. Um, I, every every afternoon and evening, we are planting trees. And so um, I finally convinced him yesterday to call the ag teacher at the high school and um, offer some and maybe offer to teach students how to plant them in public spaces where we could get permission to do so. So... Um, there you go. Do your part. Every day can be Arbor Day. Plant a tree. This will be my advocacy Absolutely. for improving our air quality. How's that sound? I think that's great. And we just had Earth Day not too long ago. And recognize we're called to be good servants of the planet that God put us on. And when you think about those things, think about the natural environment. Be part of it. Get out in it. It's one of the healthiest things you can do. And again, like you said, plant a tree. It'll help the air quality. That's exactly right. All creation is groaning with eager longing for man's redemption. And we can be um, we can be participants in in stewarding this good creation that God has given us. So let's uh, let's all participate in that, that we might breathe more deeply. That would be good, too. Dr. Brett Nix, as always, thank you so much. Carmen, it's my pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Always. Always. Likewise. You guys can uh, can find him online. His website is Brett. That's one T. Brett Nix. That's plural. BrettNixMD.com. We'll be right back. All right, if you are a mama, 
then um, you're going to resonate with the conversation that I'm about to have with Liz Wan, author of The End of Me. Because mothering is hard, and we don't often talk about um, the sacrifices that moms make every single day. And we don't talk about how those um, sacrifices can be really held as holy uh, in the hands of God. And so we're going to talk with Liz Wan about the end of me finding resurrection life in the daily sacrifices of motherhood. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. God spoke, Joshua listened, and Israel's glory days began. The Jordan River opened up and Jericho's walls fell down and evil was booted and hope rebooted. Joshua 21:43 says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it. The Lord gave them rest all around. Not a man of all their enemies stood against them. Perhaps you need a new season. You don't need to cross the Jordan River, but you do need to get through the week. And you aren't facing Jericho, but you're facing rejection or heartache. The story of Joshua dares us to believe God has a promised land for us to take. It's not real estate, but a real state of the heart and mind. A promised land. A promised land life. This is Max Locato. Liz Wan joins me now. She lives in West Philadelphia with her husband, Josh, and their three kids. She's a regular contributor to DesiringGod.org, Revive Our Hearts, ERLC.com. She's also an editor-in-chief at Morning by Morning. You can find her online at Liz Wan, W-A-N-N.com. Liz, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, first of all, tell me about your three little people. Yeah. Okay. So my oldest is uh, Simon, and he's eight. And then I have my son Eli, who's six, and my my youngest is Chloe, and she's three. So you're busy. Let's um let's yes, talk about yep. like right right like um, I'm sure that even this morning right even this morning. You have already had to do some mothering. Talk with us about the day, uh, you know, like a day in the life of mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, definitely. So we, you know, we get up and I have to make sure that they're dressed and, you know, just basic, simple things, <laughs> make sure that they, they're eating, um, that they have breakfast, you know, even there's even just behavioral issues, you know, even this morning, just having to deal with conflict resolution between kids or somebody demanding something that I can't give them and them throwing a fit. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely. Not, not every mom can relate to this, but I also homeschool my children on top of it. So there's a whole other element too of then, okay, we got to do our lessons and, um, you know, even just thinking through like, what are we going to do today? Where are we going to go? Um, you know, and to, to keep them, to keep them busy and <laughs> keep them entertained. <laughs> well, which is important because otherwise they will, um, they will find their own things to do. And that's not always helpful. Um, you know, I, I remember the smell of paint one day thinking to myself, Hmm, I wonder where that's coming from. And discovering <laughs> that, uh, someone had found a gallon of paint 
in the bathroom closet and figured out how to open it and thought this would make really cool tracks if I used my dump trucks down the hallway um, upstairs. And so, yeah, you have to keep them busy because they are very creative, right? And um, Mm -hmm. and creative, right? And so then, like, you're sort of like, oh, okay, that's so creative, but um, it's also such a mess. So, (laughs) (laughs) So your book is really about mothering. It's about the reality of being a mom. Um, but it's called mm-hmm. The End of Me. So take us into what you're trying to achieve here with The End of Me. Yeah. Um, well, I called it that because I feel like that's that's one big thing that has happened in motherhood for me is I remember even being a first-time mom, just being so surprised at how um, how much sacrifice was, was involved with, with a newborn um, how much was demanded of me and my, my time and just even my sleep, you know, it doesn't end. It's 24 hours. Um, so I think just re- feeling this sense of being, being stripped almost of myself and, um, just feeling re- very weak and needy. And that's not the only time I felt it. I felt it at different seasons, um, depending on what I was going through, my children were going through, but yeah, just this feeling of coming to the end of me realizing, okay, I'm not, super mom. I'm, I'm actually have a lot of moments of weakness and, um, and I feel needy at a lot of times. Um, and, and so that's where this idea of the end of me comes in, where it's just me coming to the end of myself at times and then realizing that's actually a good place to be. Um, and it's the place that God's designed me to be to show me how much I need him and how much I'm not like him. Um, and I need his grace and I need his strength, um, and how he's using, those times of coming to the end of myself and motherhood to bring fruit in my life and also in my, in my children's lives. So that's kind of where the idea comes from. Well, and I want to say thank you um, for being so honest, so vulnerable, um, so raw at some points in terms Mm -hmm. of just acknowledging that mothering is hard, um, that sacrifice Mm -hmm. is real and that it's not unfaithful for us to say so as Christians. Mm, Yes, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's just not. I think that there's there are many people who have been led to believe that if you're having a hard time as a mom, that somehow that's a faith issue. And, um, you know, there is real sacrifice of self, of time, of sleep, of our own, you know, schedule, um, uh, getting our own shower even uh, sometimes has to be sacrificed. Um, it, so talk with us about the subhead, because, right, you don't just leave us at the mm-hmm. end of ourselves. You also talk with us about finding resurrected life, finding a real resurrection life in the midst of all of this. Mm-hmm. This is really, first of all, the book is short. Let me just um, affirm that as well. It's 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 dense in that there's like a really good nugget, but it's it's not a heavy lift in terms of like we we recognize how little time moms have. And so the book is Mm -hmm. also short. So talk with us about um, the resurrected motherhood. Um, Yeah, I guess what I what I meant by that is is just I guess that whole idea of coming to the end of yourself or just even the the daily dying that, that we're doing for our children, um, you know, that it's, it's not in vain, that there's, there's something that the Lord's, he's using motherhood in our lives, the, the fact that it humbles us, um, and should hopefully when we do feel weak and needy, we run to him for strength. Um, that brings about, um, like new life in our hearts is what I mean by resurrection. Um, just 
um, yeah, so just new life and being able to, to, to run to him for help um, just gives us hope um, and gives us strength and, and grace to, to get through and, and just even draws us closer, closer to him and to our relationship with Christ. Um, and that, that in turn bears fruit and bears, uh, new life in our hearts. So that's, that's kind of the idea of where this resurrection life comes from. This whole idea of death and, and resurrection is kind of a theme in the, in the book, um, and how God uses those deaths and motherhood to bring new life in our hearts. Yeah, I think that the learning that you did um, in your own life, in your own experience as a mom who is also a Christian, um, is it's such an invitational way to enter the conversation, not just with new moms, but with people who've been moms for a while, but have suddenly reached the end of themselves. Like sometimes it takes people a few years to get this tired Mm -hmm. um, or to get to the place where it's like, you know what, I cannot, I am not enough um, to meet Mm -hmm all the needs of this person and to live um, a life of, of fullness and joy, um, you know, that, that God intends for me as well. Um, it really, it just is such a gift. The book is The End of Me, Finding Resurrection Life in the Daily Sacrifices of Motherhood. And yes, we have complimentary copies to give away today. So if you are, um, if you are a mom who is experiencing this or you have a mom in your life who's experiencing this, um, we'd love to share the copies we have with you. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Liz and I will be right back. So if you listen to the show on a regular basis, you know that um, I don't have any biological babies of my own, but I have um, a bunch who um, who are mine. And so I come to this conversation as a stepmom. Um, Liz Wan is a mother of three. The book is The End of Me, Finding Resurrection Life and the Daily Sacrifices of Motherhood. Um, Liz, there's no end to the number of things that are required of us um, in terms of nurturing, shepherding, safeguarding uh, the life of the next generation. Talk with us mm-hmm. about really the sacred trust that these little people are. These are, you know, these are not just uh, little humans to be raised. They are either going to spend eternity with us in the kingdom of heaven or eternity apart from God. Like there's this sacred trust that's a part of this as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to get to chapter four, weak and needy, as a part of this conversation. But um, but just talk with us about the sacred trust of being a mom. Yeah, no, yeah, what you said is great. I mean, I think just remembering that, especially when they're very little, we're concerned with a lot of physical needs that they have, and you know, just their bodies, especially as babies and toddlers. Okay, just um, let me just even... warn you. Let me just warn you that as teenagers, that that issue persists because. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how many times that I have had to say, "Girls do not like boys who stink." Oh. I'm tr- I'm right. <laughs> okay. okay. But, so I'm just saying. I, I will just share that with you. Girls don't like boys okay, who stink. So there know. you go. Brushing your <laughs> okay. teeth, washing your face. These are not things that reminding apparently them to do that. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> Maybe Sorry, you're not ahead. doing it, but you're having to tell them to do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Nice. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's definitely thinking about their souls as well. That they're they're there's you know how do we minister to their souls, to their to their mind, to their heart? Um, and 
Yes, it is. It is like you said, a sacred trust. It's something the Lord's entrusted to us, and we're not perfect, and you know we're weak. But at the same time, God, He always uses weak people. It's very obvious in Scripture, um, and His Holy Spirit is stronger than us, and will you know accomplish His purposes through us, even in our weakness. And um, yeah, just to be to be faithful, um, you know, even in, in to press through, and and even to rely on. I think I'm usually more deficient in my prayer life. And, and I feel like that's the key to like, I rely more on talking to my kids because I have a more of a gift of, you know, of communication. And, and, um, but I, I feel, but, but I, I don't always rely on prayer as much either. And I feel like it's kind of a balance between the two, um, with how we need to minister to our children. So, so I loved chapter four, weak and needy is perfect. Let me read the, uh, let me read the opening of this chapter for people. Just when I think my house is clean, sunlight pours in through the windows, and then I see every little crumb, stain, and speck of dust. The difference sunlight makes to my floors always uh, makes always takes me by surprise. How can the contrast be so great between dark and light? Imperfections are rarely, rarely seen in the dark, and yet they were always there. The sun is just showing the reality. Okay, so I read that, and I, I heard my mom say... Like, this was her strategy. <laughs> Just pull the blinds and light the candles. <laughs> so I want to equip you with this. You probably can't light candles yet because your people are little. But <laughs> at some point, just pull the blinds and light the candles. It's amazing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because we don't have time. I don't have time to dust everything that needs to be dusted. It's uh-huh. the ch- just constant. No, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's not what the chapter is about, but um, yeah, but yeah. tell people what the chapter is about because it's so sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that just serves as a, an illustration for just how, how motherhood it is. It's a light in our lives to show us like, well, we thought because before I became a mom, I, there was a certain way I, I viewed myself. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, OK, I guess I can get angry, you know, even if it's in my heart and I'm not yelling. I I can be very impatient, uh, whereas before I probably wouldn't have thought that of myself before motherhood. So it's something about how God uses motherhood to even shine a light on the places where we're like, oh, I didn't realize there was some dirt there or some dust there on my floor or a stain that needs to be worked on. Um, so it's just, yeah, how God's using motherhood to, to show us something about ourselves, the reality about ourselves that we don't always admit um, or see. Um, and, and how he uses that though, to show us his strength in our weakness uh, as a way to run to him and and point, point to him, um, and to show us who he is and what we are not. Um, yeah. So that's why it's weak and needy is, is perfect. It's just really, um, you got God's design and showing us, um, you know, those places in our lives that still need, need some work. (laughs) It's such um, it's such an honest book. It's so faithful in its answers to um, the the realities that we face as moms every day. Um, so, Liz, thank you for the gift of the book and your ongoing ministry. Uh, the book is The End of Me, Finding Resurrection Life in the Daily Sacrifices of Motherhood. We have copies to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. You can connect with Liz online at Liz. Juan, W-A-N-N, 
com. Liz, thank you so much for joining us and blessings on your day today as a writer. Great. You too. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. This is a kingdom. the book, The End of Me and the conversation with Liz, um, I just know resonates with so, so many uh, of us and our experiences. You know, we get to be moms in all kinds of ways uh, in in the world today. And so let me affirm that uh, among us as a um, as a collective here. I'm thinking of my sister. And I mean, I just remember the day that she called sobbing. I think Mia, who is now 18, I think Mia was two. And I think they were at like the first Easter egg hunt where Mia had, you know, let go of my sister's hand and was toddling on her own to pick up Easter eggs. And I just remember these like heaving sobs over the phone. My heart is walking away from me outside of my body like this since that this independent person um, was now among us and and was so precious and fragile and dear. I'm wondering, um, when you think about your experience of mothering and motherhood, you know, is there a mom in the Bible whose experience you resonate with? Maybe um, you resonate with the story of Eve. I want you to think about, um, I want you to think about her experience of mothering, of motherhood. You know, her first two boys, Cain and Abel, one killed the other. I mean, I just, just think about that for just a moment. Think about the experience of Hagar as a mom um, and her experience of God as the one who saw her um, in, you know, in that wilderness place and promised to provide for her. Think of the experience of Sarah as a mom or Rebecca or Hannah. Think of the experience of Naomi. The portion of Naomi's story that we know is that she passed along her faith to her daughter-in-law. Why is that? Because she had buried her boys. Think about the story of Bathsheba as a mom. Think about the story of Elizabeth, who is the mom of John the Baptist. Think about the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Lots of moms um, whose stories we don't have in their fullness. Um, Each one of those disciples of Jesus, each one of those very young men, um, had a mom. Very likely a living mom. Now, we only know that Peter, um, among the disciples, was married. And we have a a story about his mother-in-law. But everybody in uh, in that narrative had an had an ema, had a mom. Think about their experiences, and maybe that then helps us recognize um, the sacrifices that are experienced by every mom, and yet the way that we experience those sacrifices is unique for those of us who are in Christ, because we recognize the sacred t- trust of children. We recognize that each individual has an eternal um, destiny and that we get to participate in the cultivation of the faith of a next generation. Like the burdens or the sacrifices that we make 
are ultimately for our brothers and sisters with whom we will spend all of eternity as children in the kingdom of heaven, adopted into God's family by grace through faith in Christ. So when you look at your kids today or your grandkids today, I want you to remember that um, they are also in the economy of God, potentially your brothers and sisters forever in the kingdom of heaven. And if not, then they be lost. And that is a burden, frankly, of grief, almost too great to bear. And yet there are some mothers among us bearing that as well. So let's be gentle with one another today. Let's speak the truth. Let's love each other up. And let's say thanks to our moms. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.